You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This Palm Sunday, we celebrate King Jesus, who is both the roaring lion of Judah and the lamb that was slain. All right, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? I hope you're doing well. Excited to worship the Lord. And um, yes, this has changed. So everybody look at it now. That way, whenever I'm not talk, I'm talking and the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, you don't say, oh, wait a minute, there's something underneath the pulpit. What's going on there? And then you try to figure it out and you get all distracted and everything. So yes, trying to raise it up a little bit so I can actually keep a little bit better eye contact because um, I'm never going to be one of those outliners who can just jot down a bunch of outlines. I'm going to have to always uh, manuscript my sermons so we're trying to, to do better. Um, like I said, I was over with uh, Marty watching Harry and Marlene, and I'm like, man, those people like see the top of my head 80% of the time. It's like, I got to change that. So we're trying to figure out ways to change that. Um, So as um, Nate said that we are, we're diverting from Luke, and we're going to look at the passage in John 12, uh, verses 12 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Uh, John 12. And we look in uh, verses 12 to 19, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, the passage and then pray for us, and then we're going to dive in to what the Lord has for us. So John 12, verse 12, very familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of us. Um, it's in the different Gospels and uh, the Lord wanted me to land here, even though I, I will be talking about the other accounts um, as we go through this. So John twelve twelve says, The next day the Lord, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead and continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard uh, he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that we will see our king. He has come in this passage. Lord, I pray that we will see that he is a lion and a lamb, Lord. That, Lord, if we make him Lord of our life, king of our life, he will work in us those attributes. He will work in us a servant's heart. And Lord, he will give us courage as a lion to face whatever today brings. And Father, I pray that we will see that today. We will see him high and lifted up. Lord, I pray that your spirit will work in our hearts. Lord, that we would lay down our own kingship. And Lord, I know that that is my prayer all the time for myself, and I know that I say it a lot, Lord, it's, it's what we have to do, and it's so hard. It's so hard, and we acknowledge that, but you are the conqueror, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, and Lord, I pray that you would help us do that today. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, there's several observations that I want us to make before we begin. Um, they're not necessarily found right here in this account. They're alluded to a little bit. So, I am kind of drawing from other accounts within the gospel. It's always a good idea when you're reading through, say, if that's your, your personal reading, you're reading through one of the gospels, you come to a story, is to look at it in all the different gospels because they give you kind of different turning uh, points and looking at it from different perspectives. Um, so, the first thing that I, I want us to see is this. Jesus is going public with his kingship. Now, this is something that, that he did not do. He kind of repressed this all the way through. He repressed this all the way through that, that he was like, no, um, I'm going to heal you, but go, don't go tell nobody. Right? And every time the, the crowds got brought up, he, he would go and, and he would move away. And he would go elsewhere, away from the crowds. Because they wanted to, hey, he's powerful. He could be king. He's going to overthrow the Romans. But Jesus is now going public with his kingship. We see this in, in Matthew 20, in Matthew's account, leading up to this time, where he actually acknowledges some people that were crying out to him because they were blind they called him king in different words, and he acknowledged that. He acknowledged them. Listen to the account. And as they went out to Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, this is in Matthew 20. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, king. That's what they're saying. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David, and stopping, so Jesus stopped. He acknowledged, you're calling me a king, and I want to stop and acknowledge that. Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So for the first time, Jesus agreed with someone that he is the king. He, public, he went public with his kingship, son of David, Messiah King, is what he's saying. And Jesus looked at them and said, yes, I am he. For the apostles, this had to be right. To, his disciples are always around him. His disciples are always there. The apostles are always there. This had to be a mixed bag of emotions, right? They, they rejoice because he's finally saying who he is. They've been trying to get him to, to, to be king for, for all their time that they've been following him in different aspects. And they're trying to figure out what he's doing. Why, why is it he shows this power and then draws back? Why is it that he does this thing and draws back? Why does he teach the good news and draw back? Now maybe, now maybe he's going to come clean. They're probably excited and rejoicing. He's going to come clean. Now is the right time because the father said it is the right time. But they also knew something else, and, and we might not see this or understand this if we lose sight of the first century Roman culture. The disciples also knew this, that nobody claims to be king under Roman's rule without there being consequences. So here they are, they're rejoicing that, that Jesus is coming out, he's coming clean. I am the king, but he knows that if anyone declares clean, king other than whoever's ruling the Roman Empire, something's going to happen to that person is probably not going to be good. So they are on their way to Jerusalem, and he has openly declared himself king. Something is going to happen. The second thing we need to see is, is Jesus arranges this whole thing. In some ways, Jesus arranges the triumphal entry. He arranges it. Just 
Look with me. This was not, I don't think, as much of a spontaneous celebration. Jesus arranged the whole thing. The time has come for the Father has sent. So what does he do? He sends his disciples in, into Bethpage to get a donkey. He sends them in. Go get, it, go get me a donkey. And we, in Matthew 21, we read, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, Bethpage and Bethany, two little towns really close to Jerusalem. And they're just like right outside of Jerusalem. Now, Bethany, there's some things that happened, and, and Nate alluded to them. So, things that happened to Bethany and Bethpage, like there was a talk of the town. Like a lot of people saw it, and a lot of people saw Lazarus, who was dead in the tomb for four days, and a lot of people saw Lazarus after four days walking around live, as live as you and me are today. Jesus spent much time in this town. The people knew Jesus well. They knew about his glory. They knew his power. They witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So when he sent the disciples to the town to get a donkey, and they said Jesus needed it, no questions were asked. They knew what he did. Like, Jesus needed a donkey. Here's my donkey. No problem. Here it is. The crowd that arrives, the crowd that comes and is praising Hosanna is probably coming from Bethpage, like, like John is saying. They know what he did. They've seen Lazarus, and they're coming around, but, but he's initiating this. Not saying that he's drumming up like, like we try to do. We try to bring crowds in, and, and, and uh, it's not that. But I, I think he's very much orchestrating it because the Lord said, the, the, his father said, it is time. It is now time. It is now time. And see, this is really helpful. And this is something that I learned in my study this week, something that I was corrected and I did a lot of uh, checking and it was something that was brought up by Kevin DeYoung. And, and I am sure that I have said this in the past and, and not that I'm saying that I led people astray, but I was just making this point that the people that were singing Hosanna, we often say they sang Hosanna and five days later they were saying crucify him. Two different crowds. That's what I learned. They're absolutely two different crowds. The crowd does not go from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify him. These are absolutely different, two different crowds. See, Jesus has orchestrated this. He is in total control because he is God. He is forcing the issue and making sure he comes into Jerusalem, being cleared as loudly as possible, confronting Jerusalem and the leaders of Jerusalem with claims of his kingship. I am king. The time has come. He's purposefully doing this, announcing, I am the king. And the third thing we need to see is that he chooses a donkey. He chooses a donkey. Let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. Again, just for a moment. Now, these disciples, right, not only have they seen some things in their lifetime, they've read all the Old Testament, and they know about the wars and different things, and, and they kind of know how all this works, and they didn't have tanks and planes and things, right? They had animals to ride or in, in primitive things to use in war. But he chose a donkey. He chose a donkey. Again, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for just a moment. 
Every time they start to say, let's go, let's take power, let's take over. You can raise the dead. You can calm a storm. You can even make fish get into our nets. Instead, he's like, always, no, now is not the time. Now is not the time. So now it is the time. And they're like, okay, okay, all right, all right. So it's time, it's time, it's, it's go time, right? He's going to go in there and he's going to take out the Romans and we're going to be in charge and everything's going to be good, right? And what does he do? He goes and summons a donkey. Instead of getting a war horse, Jesus summons a donkey. Kings don't ride donkeys. Servants ride donkeys. See, Jesus, as, as our passage shows us, and all the other accounts do as well, Jesus is riding a donkey in order to fulfill Scripture. Is one of the reasons. There's more than that, but that's one of the reasons. That's verse 15 in our passage today. Now, there were prophecies in the Old Testament that said when the son of David, the Messiah King, would come, he would be riding on a donkey. There's an allusion to it in Genesis 49. And then what is quoted here in Zechariah 9? That's where this quote comes from. But disciples think, okay, but nobody rides a donkey into battle. You don't ride a donkey into battle. Because if you're declaring king under Roman rule, there's going to be some kind of battle here. And you don't ride a donkey into battle. If you ride a slow-trotting donkey into battle, you will be slaughtered. And that is the point of Palm Sunday. Behold, your king is coming. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Your king will come humble. Jesus, the king of kings, has come humbly to be the sacrifice that we all need. Was he on the donkey on purpose? Absolutely. Because anybody riding a donkey into battle is going to be slaughtered, and that's exactly his point. He is going to die for each one of us. We want it to exist. We want this king to exist. We want this king to follow one that is fierce as fierce can be and takes out all injustice, and we want someone who is humble as humble can be. We want that king. We desire that king. We write books and movies about that king. We just sometimes call them heroes. This king that we desire, he is terrible to traitors and terrible against injustice in battle, but without even an iota of personal revenge. I'm doing this for others. A king that can slay the orgs and would bow to acknowledge the sacrifice of hobbits. We write movies about this king all the time. A hero who begins as a selfish billionaire weapons manufacturer, playboy, but ends by making the ultimate sacrifice for his family and the greater good. We make movies about this king all the time. 
It's amazing how the secular world has made billions upon billions upon billions of dollars telling the story of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and sometimes you wonder, why is it they can fill a theater over and over and over and over again to tell the story of Jesus, just twisting it a little bit? We know why. Because of Romans 1. Because we don't want to hear about God before he changes our heart, before he calls us out of that grave. We don't want to hear about it until he changes us. See, we write movies about kings like this because we desire a king like this. Where do we find the bravest and the meekest, the boldest and the sweetest together in the same heart? Where do we get the ideal of a king like that? We read about him in Revelation. We read about him in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we read this. And the elder said, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is strong to open the book. Remember, here the scene is nobody can open the book. Somebody needs to open a book. Well, the lion will open the book. Jesus will open the book and break the seven seals. Nobody's powerful enough to do that except Jesus. I looked and beheld, John says, and in the midst of the throne stood a lamb that had been slain. The lion and the lamb. The apostle John here in this account of Revelation was looking for a lion and he saw a lamb. You know why? Because it's the same person. It's Jesus, our king. Because there really is a king like that. It's Jesus and in Jesus alone do we see this. The lion and the lamb. We are drawn to a king like this. We cannot help ourselves. In fact, in our passage in verse 19, the Pharisees are throwing up their hands and they're showing us that we desire a king like that. They're showing us that they, we want a king like that. Listen to what they say. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. We want that king. We desire that king. We write books about that king. We write movies about that king. The world has gone after him. There is no doubt that those who were gathered around Jesus that day as they marched into Jerusalem had in their mind the lion, not the lamb. They were looking for the lion. They wanted the Romans to be thrown out. They wanted the lion, not the lamb. They were whipped up into a frenzy because the Romans were going to be put in their place finally. We're going to be put in charge of some things. It's sad that, that that same reality happens over and over again, even in 2023, where we think that our job is to take power so we can throw the other people out. When really all God has char charged us to do is to look around to the people that you have influence over and you have connections with and relationships with, and you tell them the good news. Now, if every Christian in this country would actually do that, how would it change this country? As people actually hear the good news of Christ, they hear the sin and the judgment that's coming upon them, and that they will actually repent and believe in King Jesus. That will truly change a country. But why is he riding a donkey, they ask? We're going into battle. Why is he riding a donkey? If he's going to be a liberating for us everything that enslaves us, how could he possibly be a meek and sweet guy? 
How is he going to liberate us this way? However, they miss the point. They miss the point. And Jesus, John says as much. In verse 16, he says as much. They missed the point. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done for him. See, they realized it after the cross. They realized why he was riding the donkey after the cross. Because what Jesus is saying is, if I just come to liberate you from the Romans... What good would that do? Stop and think about that for your life today. Whatever you think in your life that is oppressing you, whatever you think in your life is making your life so hard, if that would just come, is, is that make everything good? Now, I, I think there's one fear that, that drives us all. There's one fear that drives every single one of us. He, Hebrews alludes to it, and that's the fear of death. We would say, oh, no, Joe, I don't, I don't fear that. Yes, you do. It, it's, it's in your heart. And you do, and it comes out in many different ways. Jesus is saying, if I just come to liberate you from the Romans, what good will it do? You will still die. You will still die. You would still have your guilt to live with. You would still have the problem of a meaningless existence. The Romans only represent the political oppression you were under. What about your personal oppression? Jesus is saying, I come to deliver you from far more enslaving than the Romans. I come to deliver you from death itself. I don't come with political cloud. I come gentle and lowly, humble. I come in weakness. I have to come and die in your place. But we all know that that weakness is not really weakness. It's a strength. It's a strength to choose to be weak. Some of the strongest people you'll ever meet is those that can truly choose to be humble, even though they have the clout, they have the power, they have the ability to lord it over you. See, that's the king that we're desiring. That's the king that we want to follow. See, Jesus says, I have come to take your place and your punishment to deal with your sin." which leads all of us to death. So he says, don't you see my triumph is my weakness? I'm a lion and I'm a lamb. I am so strong I will put my head down on the chopping block where your head ought to go. John Stott says it this way, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. So now we get to claim the privileges that only belong to Jesus because we are in Christ. He accepted the penalties that belong to us, to us alone. See, Jesus says, I, I don't come to get rid of the Romans. I come to get rid of death itself. They didn't get this until they, his glorified hour. They didn't get it. They, they were still focused on the Romans, get rid of the Romans. And it wasn't until after Jesus was glorified that they kind of put it all together. 
It wasn't until the apostles' darkest moment. In a moment of weakness, it, all, it is all over. Our king has been crucified. Did they realize what he just did? It wasn't until then that God's wisdom dawned on them. And they realized Jesus' greatest weakness was his greatest strength. The lion is a lamb. The lamb is a lion. That is what makes him great. That is why we want to give ourselves to him. That is what makes him the king we all seek. This passage, Palm Sunday, does not just show his lowliness, but also his highest. His highness, because we are told about the palm branches. What about these palm branches? Why are they flapping palm branches? What do these palm branches mean? For those waving the palm branches, this was a custom way they would celebrate a conquering hero. They would wave the palm branches. Sort of like a, a ticker tape parade for war heroes. Or celebration parades for Super Bowl champions. Or whenever we empty out our fire departments and we, we, we welcome home those that went and maybe won a state championship or something. They're waving the palms in celebration of a conquering hero. Again, keep in mind, all through Jesus' ministry, this kind of celebration, he did his best just to suppress. It's not time. It's not time to do this. For Jesus, it meant something else, I do believe, as we've Sam read for us. The next time that Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the next time that he comes back, the next time he comes to Jerusalem, there isn't going to be people waving palm branches. The trees themselves will actually be waving their branches at him. Listen to the part of what Sam read today in Psalm 96. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his full faithfulness. And the same idea we find in Isaiah fifty five twelve. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. At the coming of the king, when he comes again one day. See, Jesus knows the next time he comes back, the palm branches are going to be waving, but they're going to be attached to the trees themselves. The glory and the beauty and the power of creation explodes in the presence of the king. Wherever the king comes, creation cries out in joy. Wherever the king comes, there are longings to be fulfilled. Let me ask this question to you today, brother and sister. Don't you long for this kind of life? Or have you just gotten satisfied with the day-to-day? This is what it is. This is all it's going to be. As the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that everything in this life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Don't you long for something infinitely more? Or have you gotten satisfied with life the way it is? Life under the present management. And most likely that management is self. Have you said, oh well, this is about as good as it gets. 
Don't you long for a place where instead of decay, things get newer and stronger every day, every moment, forever? A place where things get more whole, more coherent. You understand them more. More vivid, that means that you see them exactly for what they are. Every moment, forever. If you do not believe that would exist, then maybe you should try new management. Maybe you should kick that king out and invite King Jesus in. And simply allow him to be king. See, Jesus is the one that you seek. He is the lion and the lamb. Listen to how Tim Keller describes King Jesus. He is the one that when he comes forth, the earth quakes and the hills melt. But on the other hand, this is the one who is so tender and so sweet, he invites children and prostitutes and beggars to his feasts. Not only does he notice us, he is willing to become our friend and enter into a spiritual marriage. His soul with our soul. We are in Christ. Behold that. He's even willing to be abased and exposed to shame and spitting for our sake. For your sake, for my sake. Behold the king, blessed is he. See, this is the king that we serve, the king that we desire. This is the king we want to be the Lord of our life. And when we allow him to be the Lord, he will change us. He will change us. He will give us the heart of a lamb, which is a servant, and a heart of a lion, which is courage. Let's take a look at each of those real quick. First, if we allow Jesus to become Lord of our life, he will create in us a servant's heart. A servant's heart. Jesus comes meek and lowly. He is a servant. He will make you a servant. He came on a donkey. See, the thing is, is Jesus gives us the strength to be meek. Jesus gives us the strength to think of others first. He gives us the strength to put aside our wants, our desires, and look out for the needs of others and the best interest of others. You want to know where true joy resides? Where our goal in life becomes what is best for others. I know that in a a culture that teaches you that it's all about you, and any evaluation about any aspect of life is turned inward, what I am about to say may not be received all that well. But everything in the Bible, everything in the Bible, everything that Jesus teaches us is your life is not about you. It is other-focused. It is other-focused. The only way you have joy in this life is if you are focused on something outside of yourself. First God, then others. That's how he designed it. We first see God for who he is, and we worship him. And then we look to others. And if we're focusing on God and if we're focusing on others, man, we have true joy, which is far greater than happiness. It is far greater than happiness because joy gets you through the suffering and joy gives you courage. True joy. We've been designed to be a servant. 
He has called you into the family to be a servant, God's servant. And there's no greater thing that we can do that we've been called to do than to be God's servant. A heart that is shaped to serve others will not care what you are getting out of a relationship in your life because you're there for the other person. That goes for marriages, friendships, parents, sisters, siblings, family. If you're only in a relationship to get out of it for you, it's not a very good relationship. The relationships should be about the other person because we have all we need in Christ. A heart that is shaped to serve others listens more than it speaks. It listens more than it speaks. Why? Because you're not concerned about telling people all the things that you want them to do or or what you know or anything like that. You are listening to hear them. To hear them. To listen for their needs. To listen for ways to overlook and forgive. Maybe things that they have done. Listen to ways to encourage, to remind those you are in relationship with who they are in Christ. To remind them and show them and encourage them on how you see God in them and how you see God working through them. See, brothers and sisters, if we give give ourselves to him in a new way, By allowing him to be king, not only will we make you a servant, shaping your heart into a servant's heart, he will give you a lion's heart. Because that is a heart of a king, and Jesus is the king. There's a place in Luke where Jesus sends out his disciples. It's in Luke 10. And he gives them the supernatural power to heal people and to cast out demons. When they return... Jesus says, how do things go? And they report it. Oh, it's incredible. You know, we, we laid hands on people and they were healed. And we said in Jesus' name and he casted out demons. Now, did Jesus run up and did he give them all high fives? Absolutely not. You know what he did? He rebuked them. Now I'm confused. You give us the power. You tell us to go proclaim the gospel. You tell us to heal people. Demons come out. It all does in your name. But now you're rebuking us. Yes, because they missed the point. That is not where the power lies. He's trying to get at their heart. He's trying to show them how are you going to have courage to continue this when I'm gone? Because we are not given those gifts to go and to lay hands on people. We can pray for them and hopefully God will heal them, absolutely. But not like this specific way that Jesus gave these disciples. Listen to what he says. He says this in Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Get this. This is for all of us. This is for everyone here today that is in Christ. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you know how to gain courage? You know how to have a a courageous heart? Is to live knowing that nothing in this world can touch you. Because you are a child of God. What he's saying at this point is, if you want real kingly courage, you don't get it by having naked power. 
this power of, of money or the power of po- political power or all this power. No, that's, that's not where you get it, not this naked power. If you want real kingly courage, if you want to act like a king, you have to know this. I am your high priest. Jesus is your high priest. Your names are engraved on the high priest's breastplate. Jesus says, when I die and go to heaven, your names will be written over my heart and I will be standing as your king, as your representative before the throne of the Father. This is what gives you courage of a lion in this fallen world. Brothers and sisters, do we toss and turn in bed at night and afraid of what may be taken away from you? What honor you have accumulated through your intellect or your position or your wealth? Let me just say, you have the favor of the king. Jesus says, I am your king. You have access to the chambers of the king of the cosmos. Your problem, problems all come because you don't know your name is written in heaven. Your anxieties, your worries. See, this allows us to face anything that is coming 10 minutes from now, 10 days from now, or 10 years from now. It becomes a discipline. It's something like we are preaching the gospel to ourselves. You say, I'm facing this on Monday. Gosh, I'm scared. But my name is written in heaven. I have this in front of me. How will I handle it? But my name is written in heaven. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, now how in the world does that happen? It's because you had the, the Spirit dwelling in you. And we're, you're being reminded of who you are in Christ. It casts out, right? What does love do? It casts out fear. When you're reminded of the love the Father has for you, See, real kingliness comes from knowing who is fighting at the head of your army, who is fighting for you. He's the one you seek. He's invincible. He's a lion's heart, and he gives you a lion's heart. Now, I'm not sure if this is an actual book or if this is one of those those stories that gets passed on from pastor to pastor, but it's a neat little stories called Palm Monday as I close down today. This little donkey got up on Palm Monday and he said, boy, this is going to be a great day. He walked into the marketplace and said to everybody, here I am. And nobody looked at him. So then he walked on down a little bit further and came right into the the banking area and he said, here I am. Everybody said, What are you doing here? Get out of here. And they threw things at him and they pushed him away. And he came on back to his mother and he said, I don't get it. I don't get it. Just yesterday, everybody, and she said, silly child, without him, you can do nothing. Without him, you can do nothing. You see, it depends on who's carrying your reins. It depends on who your king is. It depends on what's driving your life. It depends on what you're living for. 
Great kingliness will come into your life if you make him the king. Beloved, on the first Palm Sunday, he came meek and lowly, riding on a donkey. The next time he comes back, he'll be riding on a cloud. The first time he came to be torn, the next time he will come to tear apart evil. I beg you today, open your heart to him now. Allow him to be king. Allow him to be Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and this reminder that Jesus is king. He is the lion and the lamb that John saw in Revelation. And Lord, he desires for us to live as servants of him with a a servant's heart, a heart of a lamb. And Lord, he doesn't want us to live in fear and anxiety. He wants us to have courage, the courage of a lion. We do so by being reminded that we are his child. Lord, I pray that we will preach the gospel to ourselves. We will remind ourselves, my name is written. My name is written in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would help us do so today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.